0: Don't sleep on this video. I'm 42, I don't know any current slang. In this video, my nieces and nephews teach me. This is for all you old people out there. If someone uses the phrase don't sleep on something, that means don't underestimate something because it's actually great. Don't sleep on the beach sandwich. Tastes so good down by the water. Yes! Don't sleep on the beach sandwich. Don't underestimate how amazing it can be. Something I like is don't sleep on no oh, yeah so and so. Don't sleep on that movie. That's good. Right. Like don't fall so asleep if, on that. That's a good one. So is that like if if I'm starting to say I don't like something, you would say that, or when would you say that? Uh, I'm just a passing comment. Uh-huh. Don't don't sleep on that recipe. Like don't sleep on Crocs. Right. Don't sleep on crocs, okay? My niece thinks crocs are pretty great. I think that video is like hilarious because I'm a giant nerd and I think language jokes are funny. And I like to imagine how many times she had to film that to get it without laughing. <laughs> like to say, all, to say that with a straight face, you know? So um, we're continuing our series this morning. I have a question. Looking at the questions Jesus is asking in scripture. You know, Alan and I had a really great conversation about this the other day because we were talking about, you know, we he sent me this huge list of questions that we got to choose from to pick what we wanted to teach about. And almost all of them were rhetorical questions. Jesus knew the answer to the question. So why is he asking it? For the same reason my husband asks my son questions. He already knows the answer. He's trying to teach him something. He's trying to lead him to a deeper understanding. And that's why Jesus asks us questions. And today, Jesus is asking us kind of a hard one. Are you still sleeping? Guys, he came down here, spent 33 years telling us everything we needed to know about God, about the kingdom, about how we're to conduct our lives. He modeled it for us himself how many of us are still sleeping? How many of us are sleeping on the moment that God has put in front of us? Let's look at the context where he asked this question. Now, this is Matthew 26, 38 through 46, and to put us in the story, this comes out of the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, the night before Jesus dies, He's just had supper with his friends. He goes into the garden to pray. He brings his three best friends with him, James, John, and Peter, because these are his people. This is who he wants with him in his grief, in his agony, in his despair. This, you know, like We've all got the people, the people we want with us in that moment, the people we feel like we can fall apart in front of, the people we look to for encouragement, you know, these are his people. Now imagine you're having like an awful, awful moment. You are about to do the hardest thing you've ever done, and you ask your people to come and pray with you. Let's get, away, let's get out of here. I really need some time, guys. Let's go pray. Let's see how that, go, how that goes, how they answer that call. He says to them, my soul is deeply grieved so that I'm almost dying of sorrow. Stay here and stay awake and keep watch with me. He goes off and he has this big emotional, beautiful moment with God. And he comes back to his disciples and finds them sleeping. And he says to Peter, So you cannot stay awake and keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body... Is weak, so Jesus goes off to pray a second time, and again he comes back and finds them sleeping, they, for their eyes were heavy. So he leaves them to sleep and he goes away and he prays again, saying the words once more. And he returns to the disciples and he finds them still asleep. And he says, "Are you still sleeping?" Like can you, can we just like imagine for a moment being Jesus's people, and he tells you exactly what he needs from you in that moment, and instead you take a nap. You know, (laughs) like Jesus himself is over there sobbing on the ground. Please sit up and pray with me. And they sleep on the moment. We see this idea of sleeping, of staying awake, used a bunch of times in scripture. And we see some very similar themes around it that we're going to talk about today. Um, We see it used like it is here, like, you need to stay awake so you can prepare yourself to face the temptation that's ahead of us, the hard things that we're about to go through. You need to stay awake so you can be ready and equipped to do what God would have us do when the moment presents itself, right? So we see it used that way in several different examples. We also see this theme of falling asleep or staying awake used around the idea of being responsible being dutiful and faithful to what God has set before you, you know. And also, we see it used sort of interchangeably with the idea of sobriety and being alert and aware of what's going on around us so that we notice the things that need to be done when they need to be done, you know. So um, we're going to look... At a couple of instances, we see this. Alan, told, I had a whole bunch of receipts, but Alan told me I needed to narrow down my focus to one or two parables. <laughs> oh. So first of all, we're looking at parables of faithful servants, and I love this one. He says, Jesus t- is talking about a, a guard, who's like manning the gate, and the master of the house has gone off to his wedding feast. You know, big party late into the night, gonna last who knows how long, and he's gonna come, and the master's gonna come back, and you have no idea when. But he's like bringing his bride home. You gotta like be on your A game, you know. And he talks about this servant, and he says, "Be dressed and ready for active service. Keep your lamps continuously burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast." So that when he comes and knocks, they am- may immediately open the door for him. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake and waiting for when he arrives. Right? The blessed servant is equipped, he's prepared. It's the middle of the night, but he's had like a whole pot of coffee and he's like sitting by the door with his uniform on. You know? He's not asleep with his head on the table. He hasn't taken his shoes off to get more comfortable. You know, he's got all his buttons still done up. I mean, that's not time appropriate clothing description, but you know what I mean, you get my metaphor here. Um, So we see, here's our faithful servant. He goes on to tell a little more about the way this faithful servant behaves. He's the one who's the faithful and wide steward of the estate, who his master can put in charge over his whole household to give his servants their portion of food at the proper time. And blessed is the servant who his master finds so doing when he arrives. I assure you, he'll put him in charge of all his possessions. This is the guy you leave in charge that you trust with all your stuff to take care of all your people. And he does it faithfully and he does it well no matter how long you're away or how much you entrust him with. As opposed to if that servant says in his heart, you know, my master's taking a long time coming and he begins to beat the servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. And the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and in an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with unbelievers. Yeesh. This is not the good and faithful servant. You know, this guy, he got bored. He got entitled. He forgot it wasn't his stuff. You know, he forgot that it was his responsibility to look out for the people he had been entrusted with. But we do this, right? You know, I always think about, when we're talking about faithful servants, I always think about, you know, the parable of the talents. You know, when the men who multiply what they've been given, Jesus said, says the Master calls them good and faithful servants. Good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. What does that mean? In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the righteous men at the end of their life. And Jesus says to them, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And they were like, no, I didn't. I definitely didn't do that. I would remember if I had done that. And Jesus tells them, you did these things. You did these things for the least of your brothers and sisters. And when you did that, you did them for me. Okay. And right after that, some other people come along who think they're righteous, and they're like, Jesus! And Jesus is like, I don't know you. You did not do these things. They slept on the moment. They didn't see it when it was in front of them. They didn't recognize what was being asked of them. What does it mean in our lives today to be equipped, to be alert for the moment, to be willing to leap into action when God calls us. You know, being equipped, having our garments on, being ready, can look a lot of different ways in our lives. First and foremost, we've got, you know, it talks about the, the garments of praise. I love that idea. You know, that I'm spending time regularly, daily, in the presence of God, worshipfully in the presence of God. You know, I'm studying in the presence of God. I'm praying and meditating regularly in the presence of God so I can learn how to recognize his voice. So I can be equipped and armed with spiritual truth so that I can be in a place in my mind and in my heart where that's where my attention is, that's where my focus is, and I'm actively looking for opportunities, you know. We talk a lot here about the movements of the Holy Spirit, you know, sometimes I have to open the valve. And by sometimes I mean like every day, several times a day. Because <laughs> that thing gets clogged up. You gotta flush it, man. Um? You know? But it can't just be that. Because I'm gonna miss out on a lot of opportunities. I am going to never be able to serve to my fullest potential if that's all I am doing. You know, we're the guy with the talents again who buries them in the ground if that's the only thing I'm doing. Being equipped is about more than that, you know? It's about learning to recognize the skills and the gifts and the opportunities we're given and to make the most of those things, you know? I'll always think about when I think of being equipped and the work we have to invest into that, about being in the car with Pastor Jeremy one time when he took a call from a pastor in Haiti. He did a lot of work with um, our mission into Haiti. And we're just driving down the road and all of a sudden he started speaking a language I didn't know he could speak. You know? And he got off the phone and I was like, is that French? What What? Spanish? what was that? Like I've never even heard this language before. And he's like, this is a dialect of Haitian Creole that they speak where these churches we've planted are. And I was like, like he had invested the time to learn a language. That was how he equipped himself in preparation for the opportunities that were gonna be put in front of him. You know, I've seen teachers do this. I had a bunch of friends who taught at a school that had a very large Vietnamese population. They all were in the teacher's lounge doing Vietnamese on their Duolingos over, you know, over lunch break, trying to learn how to better, how to equip themselves to better serve the community God had put in front of them. You know, I have seen so many parents do beautiful things, to break cycles of generational trauma and abuse and curses by investing the time to get real good therapy, <laughs> to get real honest with people about their past, you know, to receive transformational prayer, to do all of the beautiful things that can equip us to be the kind of parents God calls us to. But it's not enough to get up every day and do your devotional and not deal with any of the baggage in our lives that interferes with our ability to act out God's will, to be the people we're called to be. You know? Sometimes it's as simple as in that prayer and meditation time working on recognizing the things in ourselves that interfere with our ability to constantly turn our thoughts to God. Whether that is depression, addiction, compulsive behaviors, maybe that past hurt or betrayal that we cannot quit thinking about. We all have a thing, you know? And I think one of the biggest ways our modern Christian culture works against us is so many of us feel like we have to pretend we don't have a thing. Everybody in here has got a thing. If you don't think you have a thing, your thing is that you don't think you have a thing. You know, that's your thing. (laughs) You can't see the thing yet, you know. Everybody in here has got a thing, but modern American church culture That clings to this idea of our relationship with God as being exclusively triumphant, teaches us to be ashamed of the things that we're still struggling with. Jesus is not in, okay, well, Jesus is in the room, Holy Spirit, but Jesus is not physically sitting here right now. He's the only person who ever walked this earth without stuff, sin, and temptation, selfishness to struggle against. Now, look, I believe in a God of miracles and deliverance. Absolutely. But guess what? I also believe that if we were to ever be fully delivered and fully transformed, you would stop growing. You would stop desperately coming here on Sunday, getting down on your knees, crying in worship. The things we struggle with, our free will, that we're always going to wrestle with, is the very thing that continues to motivate us into ever deeper pursuit of Christ. And God wants to use it to further equip us for the moment. But we have to wake up to the thing in our life. We have to wake up to the things in our life that want to keep us asleep. That want to keep us so preoccupied with our own mess that we can't look up and see what God's trying to do. That Jesus himself can be weeping on the ground in front of us and instead of being moved to passion, and heartbreak, and tears alongside him, we can lay down and take a nap. Guys, we live in a world of brokenness. And yet it's so easy to take a nap, to live a life that is insulated and separated from all of the suffering in the world and only think about the suffering inside of us. You know, how do we equip ourselves? We deal with our stuff. We recognize the gifts and the talents, the skills that we have, and we look at how I can magnify and amplify and develop those things so that I can better serve God. You know, I love the examples of language. I had a friend of mine was. You know, I was talking to her about this earlier this week, and she told me this beautiful story about being hospitalized for depression, and her roommate in the mental hospital only speaks Spanish. She's the only person on the unit who speaks any Spanish. And can you imagine being so full of despair that you had to be put in a hospital and you couldn't communicate with anyone there, you couldn't connect with anyone there? And can you imagine what it meant to that person to have someone willing to get out of their suffering and help you, reach out to you, connect to you in that way. But we have to be ready for the moment. We have to be willing when the moment comes. You know, we have to be willing to look at the calls and opportunities that God puts in front of us and think about how do I make the most of this? You know, I, we talked pretty openly about a year ago, my husband and I, about how we were feeling a call to open our lives, our homes more in the spirit of community and hospitality. At that time, we thought for sure because you, you know it's funny how we interpret what God's telling us. We thought at that time for sure we were about to have like the maximum number of foster kids in our house, and we went out in desire to answer that call, and we looked for like literally the biggest house we could afford, <laughs> you know, so that we could fill it with babies, you know, like bring us all the broken babies. And we haven't done the foster work paperwork yet because in the year we've been in that house, it has been nonstop full of people we love who needed somebody to watch their kids for a day, who needed a stable place to live for a week, who needed hospitality. Like it's—we haven't been able to do the paperwork yet because our house has always had strangers in it. You know, they're not going to give us babies while there's strangers in the house. You know? But I love that. I love like somebody was like apologizing to me at one point. Because my husband was out of town on a business trip. And I had four families worth of kids, including our own in our house that day, that we were looking after. And like, I start, like, she was like apologizing to me. And I started to cry. Because I was like, man, this is it. Like, you don't understand. Like, this, I didn't know this is what we were doing. But like this is what we're supposed to be doing. Don't take this from me. God gave me this. You know? But we have to be willing to step out into faith. And what we think we're hearing Him call us to do, that doesn't mean we're going to perfectly understand what He's calling us to do. You know? But if we sleep on the moment, if we anticipate the moment, we don't equip ourselves for it, we're not going to be able to do anything when it comes along. You know? If we'd have still been in that little house, And all of these people had come along, we'd have been like, man, that stinks. So sorry. You know? We have to be willing to believe there is a moment coming, to stay alert in search of the moment, to equip ourselves, to be ready for the moment. And then when the moment comes, to do the thing, to do the thing, Look, we don't do this perfectly. We do nod off, we do fall asleep. Jesus knows we fall asleep, that's why he doesn't. Like, guys, he knows they're sleeping, he can see them sleeping. He's not actually curious about whether or not they're sleeping, he's trying to draw their attention to the fact that they're sleeping. So that they can notice, so that they can do something about it. Now, we all fall asleep. I can remember, you know, I was about three years sober, and I was going through a really hard time for the first time since I had quit drinking. And um, I started running around trying to recreate all of these different scenarios that had led to really intense spiritual experiences like when I was first getting sober. Like I was trying to like find that feeling again. I really felt lousy and I'm like desperately like shaking the trees, hoping the Holy Spirit coconut's gonna fall on my head. You know, and it just was not working. Nothing I was doing was working. And all the people around me kept saying, you need to be serving God's people. You need to be working with people who are as miserable as you are worse and talking to them about what God has done in your life and how he did it. And that is going to be the thing. And I'm like, I feel miserable. Don't you understand that I have nothing to give? But finally I got miserable enough to do the thing. And let me tell you, I found everything I had been looking at, looking for and more. Like if the Holy Spirit were coconuts, I would have had a concussion, you know? Because the amazing thing about kingdom work, about God's will, is it is the thing that makes me feel better. Sitting on the sidelines thinking about myself and my suffering and my misery and what I wish life would hurry up and do for me will keep me sitting there forever wishing and feeling and thinking but never growing, but never doing anything meaningful for the kingdom and never getting any relief or release just only getting wrapped tighter in the chains of selfishness and self-centeredness and sin that got me stuck there in the first place, that felt too heavy to drag along. But when I get up and I throw myself into God's will, into the moment of what he wants to do with me and in me and through me, and I get up anyway and I get dressed anyway and I go do the stuff anyway, Sometimes it's a literal getting dressed, like you know. Maybe it's a metaphorical, like getting equipped. But sometimes it's like put on your pants, take a shower, you know. I don't know. Maybe none of y'all struggle with depression, but like sometimes it's like go take a shower and put your pants on, you know. And you get up and you go do the things, and it feels so good, guys. The Holy Spirit, that that hose that gets clogged up. Man, we flush that thing out, and the fountain starts flowing. And all the stuff that I was looking for, all the things that I wanted so bad that couldn't find me in the corner, man, they're spilling out all over the place. It's beautiful, because that's the way God works. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. So what happens when I nod off, right? What happens when I nod off? It's okay, all right? It's okay. Even Jesus' most beloved apostles did it, okay? And these three guys, guys—they turned out all right. This isn't the end of their story, right? This is James and John and Peter, you know? These men are pillars of the early church. They're, about to, they're gonna get up and get dressed and go to work. James is going to go on to become so influential in the early church movement, he's going to be the first of these guys to be martyred. John, the beloved, is going to be the only one who sticks with Jesus through his crucifixion. It's going to be John crying at the bottom of the cross that Jesus is going to look down to and say, Hey, man, will you take care of my mom? Will you look after my mom for me? You know, depending on the sources you trust, John might be the one who goes on to write a whole bunch of the New Testament. <laughs> You know, he's a very influential person in the early church. He's John the Beloved, the Beloved of Christ. And Peter, Peter who after this is going to deny Jesus three times. It's Peter that we get to see have this beautiful opportunity to make amends. Three times here he falls asleep on the moment. Three times he's going to deny Jesus when he he was most alone and most abandoned and most in need of a friend. And three times, Jesus is going to ask this man, Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter's going to get the opportunity to say, yes, Jesus, I love you. Great, feed my sheep. He doesn't say, oh, good, how happy for us. No, he says, good, go do my stuff. Do the work. I'm so glad you love me. Prove it. Live it. Show me. But Peter's going to go on to be, we call him the rock the church was built on. I don't know. Peter, he's so imperfect. He's so relatable. Guys, he messes it up all the time. Like I love, like how many gospel stories are like, feel like Jesus being like, oh, Peter, you know? But this is the guy, because he was faithful and dutiful and devoted. This is the guy that Jesus builds his church on. You know, and I love that. Aaron and I were praying before service. And I lo- I love when I get to do this with Aaron, most especially, because I don't know if you guys know how faithfully and dutifully Aaron serves this church, but she leads worship most of the time when Yoni's sick. And so it's like 15 minutes before service where you're like, hey, Aaron, I need you to drop everything you're doing and come lead worship today. You wanna talk about needing to be equipped for the moment? (laughs) You know, ready to lead worship, like at the drop. I'm so sorry I'm embarrassing you right now. You know? But I love the idea of like, Aaron and I being the people who do service on a Sunday, because we're just like two regular chicks. You know, <laughs> we're just, like, not, you know, I mean, I love Aaron. she's the best, but we're just regular people. We're not, like, more holy or, like, haven't been to seminary or, you know, like, we are just like every other person in this room, you know, and we are proof that God wants to equip and empower every single person in this room to be a minister of Christ, you know, So that's what it's about. That's what God's kingdom work is about. It's about his willingness to take every single believer and make them a brick in his church, a building block of something beautiful that honors him and serves him and houses his people. So how are we going to do that this week, gang? Eh? Okay, now. Thanks, Zach. All right, we're gonna wake up, we're gonna get dressed, and we're gonna go to work. We're gonna wake up. We're gonna be alert to what Jesus wants us to do today. Guess what? Everybody in this room has somebody in their life today. You are going to encounter today that God wants to use you to touch, to love, to speak to, to forgive to radically accept. I can love you, person who feels unlovable, because my Lord and Savior loves you. We're gonna get dressed. We're gonna be ready. We're gonna pray. We're gonna study. You know, if you don't know what that looks like and what that's meant to look like in your life yet, maybe you haven't recognized where your gifts and skills are, the ways that God wants to uniquely use you to serve this world. I'd be happy to help you brainstorm on that later. You know, or find a trusted friend. You know, your spouse is a great person to do this with. You know, or, you know, a good friend at church, a believer who's walking alongside you, who can encourage you. You have somebody in your life who loves you and sees the good that God put in you and wants to water those seeds you know, and be that for one another. Let's be real community to each other. You know, if you see something in somebody, tell them that thing. Maybe they don't know. We're going to go to work. We're going to serve God and those he's put in front of us today. What are we doing for the least of those in our lives?